Uh, if you're a guest here, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us, and uh, please do stay around afterwards for tea and coffee. This morning, we're going to talk on baptism. We're going to carry on our series on spirit breakout, and it's going to be on the book of Acts, and um, we're going to do carry on this series. Um, Rosh spoke on the passage that we're going to look at about a couple of weeks ago, and he challenged us that the fact is that the gospel is for all. The good news of Jesus Christ is for all. And today, we're going to read parts of that again and focus on baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. But before we read that passage, I'm just going to give you a bit of background and then we can go into the Bible and open the passage. Um, the church is growing at this part of the book of Acts. It's really flourishing. Uh, people of God are coming together. They're praising God at the temple at different places. Then they're being scattered because of persecution. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. The sick are healed. The poor are fed. Um, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, even if you haven't read the book of Acts fully, if you've just been part of Jubilee for a while, it should sound familiar. Asbal was giving testimony this morning, and Moshua was reminding us at Fast Worship just a couple of weeks ago about how God healed him, about the healing that God has brought. It's not just something for those days. It's not something that God thought it's a good idea, but then he changed his mind and thought, actually, no, I don't really like the look of it. I'm going to stop it. No, Mushtawa was telling us and reminded us that right when he was a very new Christian, how God healed him through the prayers of the people around him, and his back was healed just a few days before he was due to go for a very severe surgery, for a really big, massive surgery. And that was just a few days before that. And then he got it checked with the doctors, and they said, no, you're healed. And uh, he didn't tell us for a few weeks or so, but then he did share it afterwards. He, could, he just couldn't keep it to himself. And then the poor are fed through the generosity of the church. And it's not just the wealthy giving of their wealth and what God has given them and blessed them. It's every single person taking part in that. And that very much speaks to me of my spiritual family in here. Philip, who was chosen by the apostles uh, to be uh, in charge of looking after the widows and the poor, here is told by an angel of the Lord, just like it happens every day, go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So it's like going from one side of the A19 to the other. So Philip is told to do that by an angel, and he does that. He comes across an Ethiopian eunuch who happened to be reading the book of Isaiah, and he happened to be reading it really loud. Philip could hear it. That tells me this guy wasn't ashamed of the Bible. He wasn't ashamed of the fact that he's reading the Word of God. The passage that he was reading is known as the servant uh, the suffering servant, and he's talking about Jesus Christ. I was thinking of the best way of really describing a eunuch. I was thinking, what words could I use? But then I realized Raj, being a GP, had used a medical word for it, and he said he had no tickle-tackle. So <laughs> that's the best way of describing it. And he's a GP, he's a doctor, I'm going to go with it. Um, I'm sure it's in the manual. So the eunuch was probably a God-fearing Gentile. He was from um, Ethiopia. In fact, in my Farsi Bible, it says Habasha, and that's where um, quite a lot of people at Jubilee are, uh, were from. Um, in the English Bibles, it's referred to as Ethiopian. He was a God-fearing Gentile, probably on pilgrimage uh, in Jerusalem. He was heading back home. Um, it's questionable whether he would have been able, because of the laws um, um, of uh, Jews, because of the Jewish laws, whether he would have been able to actually have access to the temple because of who he was. Um, but then Isaiah prophesies um, and he foresees that any ban, anything that would 
in not able people to come to God, who really have a heart for God, they'll be taken away by the work of Jesus Christ. And it says, let no eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. So Isaiah is seeing that many, many years prior to that. Uh, Philip asks the eunuch, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the answer is, no. Uh, now, to some of you guys, maybe, yeah, of course, he didn't understand it, and he said no. But to somebody from that culture, and I'm from a similar culture, especially somebody older and somebody in position to say, I don't actually understand, is a massive statement. It's like, that's a no-no. You don't go there. You just can't say you don't know. You just have to pretend you actually do, but you just have to say, I actually know it, but I want to know whether you know it as well. So really tell me. That's how he would have done it. But this is a God-fearing guy who's reading the, God, the Bible. He's not ashamed of it, and he's not ashamed of the fact that he can't understand it. Do you all understand the whole Bible? Don't put your hands up, because otherwise, yeah, uh, a few of us will come to you afterwards. But the guy didn't understand what it meant. But Philip knew, because this passage is really, really difficult to understand if you're not seeing it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A few people say Isaiah is talking about Israel, the nation of Israel. But for Philip, because he knew all about it, he knew the word, the Old Testament, what they had access to at the time, the Bible, really well, but he also knew the journey of Jesus Christ really well. From his birth to his life, his death and resurrection. And he could see and he could put, put two and two together and say, look, Ethiopian eunuch, this is Jesus Christ. Philip is invited to the jaguar. He gets to ride in the jaguar with the Ethiopian guy and he says, will you explain it to me now? So he goes through it and that's where we get. So if you've got a Bible, if you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8, we're going to read verses 36 to 40. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, the words will be projected on the screen and we're going to read through that. Acts, chapter 8, verses 36 to 40. And as they were going along the road, that's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, the, as he, passed through he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Wonderful. I just love the bit where the Ethiopian guy is coming out of the water. He doesn't see Philip, but he doesn't care. He goes rejoicing. Um, so we're going to talk about three different points. What's baptism? Who is it for? And how it's done. So there's only two traditions that Jesus commanded his church to keep. One's baptism, and the other one is breaking of bread. Now, in the New Frontiers, if you've been around in New Frontiers churches, some of the elders have developed their own um, kind of tradition. They seem to believe that the Bible says that all the elders must wear checked shirts and they must have their sleeves a bit rolled up. Uh, and you can tell that Simon and Gavin really adhere to that tradition. I'm still waiting for them to show me the Bible verse. But there's only two traditions that Jesus tells us to keep. And he's actually commanded us in that. And one of them is baptism. And you'd be surprised to know that there's actually disagreements between Christians about these things. You know, it's never surprising that Christians have disagreements. You've probably heard the phrase, two Jews and three opinions. Uh, well, I probably can coin one, uh, another one, one Christian and three opinions. 
Because there seems to be disagreement about quite a lot of different things, but then there is unity about the main point and the very fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's what unites us together despite all of our differences. So because of that difference, some call them different things. They use different words for them, sacrament or ordinance. Let's not worry about these. Uh, it, if you know and if you're clear about where you stand with baptism, then really using one of these words, um, any of these words, doesn't really matter. Historically, there's been difference in, uh, of, uh, in, the, in terms of uh, viewpoint on baptism. You've probably heard the words uh, pedo-baptism or credo-baptism. Um, again, let's not worry about these because they're not actually biblical words, but that doesn't necessarily mean the concept isn't biblical. But we're going to look at baptism that is administered properly to those who give a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. As far as we know, Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone, although his disciples were baptizing people, um, and we read that in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone, um, probably because then people would have boasted or they would have been really proud. I'm going to tell, tell you my own story, and despite the fact that Jesus himself didn't baptize me, I was really proud in a very arrogant way about my baptism. I'll, I'll share that with you. If Jesus himself had baptized me, I would have probably wanted to replace him. Um, baptism is a symbol of union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Going down in water, you've probably heard it many times on our baptism uh, Sundays. Uh, we had one uh, quite recently. As you go down in water, you're declaring that you are dying with Jesus Christ. You are being buried. And as you come out, uh, come out of water, it's a picture of being raised with Christ and you walk into the newness of life. We read in Romans chapter 6, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The waters could also symbolize other things as people, again, argue quite a lot over. The drowning of the Egyptian army in Exodus, the judgment of God coming upon them, and therefore, the, the person being baptized can symbolize the judgment of God, but the difference is the Egyptian army couldn't come out of the water because the judgment of God rested on them. But with those who are getting baptized, it symbolizes that they've gone through the judgment of God, but they have come out of the other end, not because of their own merits, but merely because of Jesus Christ, because God has seen them wrapped in Jesus Christ, and therefore the wrath and the judgment of God is not on them anymore. I know this culture is not really a big fan of talking about God's judgment and God's wrath, but it is in the Bible, it's very clear, it is there, and it will come in full one day. And if you're in Jesus Christ, you are safe, because that's how the Father will see you, as Jesus, wrapped in him. Now, who can be baptized um, and is another question. Baptism in the New Testament is an action that follows repentance. And again, repentance is not a word that we're really a big fan of. Sorry is used quite a lot when you bump into people or even when they bump into you, you just say sorry, although it's not your fault. But repentance isn't really a big thing. Uh, there are no occasions in the Bible, in the New Testament, where somebody walked in and said, I'd actually like to get baptized because it's the new trend, first of all, on Facebook. And the second thing is it looks cool. It just makes you look cool. You just get to be baptized in front of lots of other people. You just get to take a very quick bath with your clothes on in front of hundreds. So I want to do that. We don't see that sort of things in the New Testament. In this passage, the idea of a eunuch 
who's not from Israel, that just goes down, to draw to, uh, close to God and eventually being adopted in God's family, it just shows how good our God is. We were singing about His goodness, that He is good. He is good because He's allowed somebody with no birthrights in a nation that God looks after to come in despite his physical defects, to actually draw close to him. And not only that, to call God Father. And we can see that through somebody who probably wasn't able to take part in, religion, uh, in religious uh, ceremonies, the whole gospel is taken back to Africa. I'm sure this guy would have gone back. We don't really know because the Bible doesn't tell us and it's never safe to try and make the Bible say something it doesn't. But he left rejoicing and I'm sure he's arrived home rejoicing, telling others of Jesus. Philip must have felt satisfied. He wasn't that sort of guy who would just say, he actually looked like a nice person. Fancy getting baptized. Um, he must have been satisfied that this guy really knows what he's doing, and he's given his heart to Jesus. He's bowed down before him, and he knows that he's genuinely interested in following Jesus rather than anything else. He knows that this Ethiopian guy who's traveled all the way here for whatever reason is not simply there and hasn't just seen a pool out there and fancies a bit of a bath. Philip knows that this guy knows what he's doing and he has faith. That's the pattern in the New Testament. Only, th only those who are given a profession of faith are baptized. This is called the believer's baptism. It's after the, pre uh, uh, the preach that Peter has that we read, those who received the word were baptized. After Philip's preach in Samaria, those who believed were baptized. The apostles and the disciples must have seen the regenerating work of the Spirit at Cornelius' house. Then we, we get to Lydia and the Philippian jailer. They're all after a confession of faith. Baptism wasn't a new thing. Jews were already familiar with it. Um, anyone who wanted to convert to Judaism would have gone through that process. It's a, it was an outward response to an internal change. But rather than a religious change in the New Testament, it was what happened in your heart. I told you I'm going to tell you a story, but I'm going to start with somebody else's story. You might have read the book, I Dare to Call Him Father. Uh, it's um, the story of a lady called Bilgis Sheikh who was a Pakistani believer. She was born into a Muslim family in one of the, again, a, a country where it's usually in, is in the open doors um, watch list uh, because of the persecutions of Christians. She grew up there. Then through dreams and visions, she comes to realize that Jesus Christ is God and the only way to the Father. For her to, get to have got baptized there would have been the most dangerous thing. But she has a vision that God is really impressing on her that she's, she needs to get baptized. She knew that it's not baptism that saves her. It's, and that is true. It's not baptism that saves us. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. But baptism is obedience to God. So what she does is she goes and finds a small group of missionaries uh, and asks them to baptize her. They'll have to make a journey to go to Peshawar, which is a long way on the other side of the country. Then towards the end... It, it gets to a point where it doesn't seem like it's happening, so she decides to baptize herself in water. Now, you may have your own opinions about, is that 
is that right? Can you baptize yourself? Doesn't it have to be done by a Christian? And we'll get into that as well. But it's, um, it just really paints the picture of it's not as easy as coming to church on a Sunday. It's not as easy as getting a pool together. Paul Simon has to put it together and he, ha- he even has to come as, um, earlier on that particular Sunday. Fill it with water and then you go in the water and come out. In some nations, it's quite difficult. As I was telling you about um, our good friend earlier, I was talking to Mabash and I said, if he hadn't got baptized in here, I'm not sure he would have been able to, uh, to get baptized in his home country. But obedience is what counts. Baptism in itself, again, as I said, without faith, is just taking a very quick bath. In some culture, baptism is considered as a defining moment. And that's where the culture I come from. I was a believer already for a few years before I could get baptized. And you know what? It took so long because I was told that it could only be done by ordained people, those who have been ordained um, um, at church, those who have particular office at church. And I'm not despising that view, but I, I don't hold to, uh, to that view um, um, anymore. But at the time, this was what I, I was told. So for a few years, I would consider myself as a second-class Christian, as somebody who's not official in the eyes of the Lord. I believed in him, but because of my perception on baptism, I thought, no, I'm not there yet. But in many cultures, it is a defining moment because that's when you're officially a Christian. So I had to wait for somebody who was ordained to baptize me, and there was only one person in a city of two and a half million who, um, who was ordained, and we didn't want him to baptize us because then he would have been found out because the authorities knew the view of the church on baptism, and if they'd found out that we were baptized, they would have gone to that person and say, look, you've overstepped the mark, and that's it, you're, you're gone. But it was by the grace of God that somebody who's, who was on vacation at the time in Iran and happened to be ordained um, came and said, do you fancy getting baptized? And I thought he was joking, but then I realized he's not. So very early in the morning, um, we, we were hoping to go to the river in a nearby village and get baptized, but because of all the practicalities, it didn't happen. But I got baptized along with a few other people. And that was a very defining moment for me because that was a significant moment. First of all, because... I was being obedient to the call of God because I was doing what Jesus has call, had called me to despite knowing that the troubles will increase from within and without the family. And also, it was really honoring to see somebody who didn't have to do it saying, Lord, you've called me to make disciples and baptize them. I'm going to do that. Although I know I may never be able to get back home. I may never be able to leave this country. Praise God that he was able to leave and he is safe and sound uh, now. But for a while, as the church and home church was growing, I still had that sort of view and I would consider myself as a better Christian than the one that I was discipling into Jesus. I thought I'm baptized, you're not, so I'm one step higher and I still think that really about many of you. No. <laughs> so... It was only just a few months afterwards that God really opened my eyes to the Scripture through the help of many other friends that believers, those who, have be, who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, can baptize others. And you know what happened? We started baptizing believers, those who made a confession of faith, and uh, trust me, nobody would really want to fake believing in Jesus in a country like Iran because um, that's the last thing you, you really want to do unless you want to uh, sign your death warrant 
Um, after we really felt that people have been walking with Jesus on this journey and they've been walking with the Lord and they have made a, a confession of faith, we started baptizing them in the rivers, in the swimming pools, uh, but really whispering, I baptize you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go down. But we just missed the bit in the middle about the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And then once we had to baptize somebody in a bathtub, he seemed to be a very big guy. It just wasn't really suitable. But we thought, well, practicalities don't really matter. We baptized him. Uh, the bath didn't break, as far as I know. But that's how things are done in some of the cultures. So it's not as easy as a Sunday morning. You'd be glad to know that we're getting towards the end of it because um, I've been uh, promised a, chicken, a roast chicken and shawarma and really, after 12 o'clock, I just, uh, yeah, it's going to get cold. So you'd be glad to know that it's the end of it. If you haven't had shawarma, by the way, you haven't lived. So come and ask me where's the best place to really get them from, and I'll show you. Um, so we were talking about the symbolism, the age for baptism. Some people think, well, I was baptized as a child, so I don't really need to get baptized again. If, as a child, you've made a confession of faith when you're three months old or six months old, then that's great, because that in itself is a miracle. And if, that's a, if God has performed a miracle, then, yeah, your baptism is amazing, because you've been able to talk. Poor parents, if you have a six-month child who speaks, because I've got two of them now, and one really speaks a lot, and I'm thinking, if, it's, it's, if you'd been speaking uh, since the age of six months, I'd been really, I'd go mad, so... I'd pray that your children would start speaking at the right time, uh, not when they're three or six months old. Well, how old should children be? That's the question, a really practical question. Some of you may have children, including me. Uh, my son's been asking me, where can I get baptized? Um, so, when should children get baptized? There's no direct answer to this, and it's impossible to set a precise age. And if somebody comes to you and says, the Bible says this, just take it that they don't really know their Bible. If they come up with a particular age, then don't really trust what they say. Um, there is no minimum age for baptism, and Bill, thank goodness that there was no maximum age either, so you could get baptized. <laughs> if children are old enough to give a believable confession of faith, and if as parents you are satisfied that what they're saying is their understanding from their heart, then there is no reason why not to baptize them, really. Remember that we've had children in here who have been baptized. I was asking Atalam, how old was he when he got baptized? He was nine years old, and I remember Mabush and I took him to a restaurant. We were eating. Of course, you've got to dis discuss everything to the Bible, about the Bible while you eat, because otherwise it's not biblical. So we were eating, and he came, he brought out his Bible and a notebook, and we were asking him why he wants to get baptized. And he started asking us questions from the Bible. Why did Jesus command this then? But I find this fascinating that he said this in here. And I was thinking, has your dad told you this? But then I remembered, I'd spoken to his dad just a few weeks prior to that, and he couldn't really tell me what the Bible was, or he couldn't really uh, talk much about it. No, I'm joking. But he gave me a really, a, he gave me an account of his faith that his dad couldn't really do. So Aslan was nine when he got baptized. There was nothing really stopping, stopping us from doing that because he made a confession of faith. You could see the fruits of the Spirit in his life and he was ready and willing to obey Jesus Christ. So if your children are at an age where you feel they are able to do this and they've reached that point, then it'd be great to really celebrate that day. But who can baptize others? 
Um, then I told you my story about thinking that it's only those who have been ordained at church that can baptize others. But at Jubilee, we believe that believers can baptize other believers. One thing about baptism is that it's not sim simply a symbol. It's being added to the family. We read about being added to the church. So if somebody's getting baptized at Jubilee, they are being added to the family. They were added to the family the moment they came to Christ, but it's a symbol of them being added to this wonderful family. So it just makes sense for somebody from the family to do that. So if you haven't been baptized and if you'd like to get baptized and you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you, you want to obey him, to obey his commands and you want to walk with him, then come and speak to one of us um, about it. Then it may be that there are people in here that you know who really helped you along this walk and in the journey with God, with, uh, that, that you're walking with God, that you'd like them to baptize, then please come and speak to us. Baptism is done by full immersion, if you've, seen, um, if you've seen one of our baptism ceremonies in here. And it's because we believe that that's how it was done by the early disciples. It means to plunge, dip, or immerse something, the word baptizo, and when you dunk your biscuit into your cup of tea, you're baptizing it. Um, so, although it doesn't uh, give that sort of symbol, because then you'll eat it, uh, and it's under the judgment, but with baptism, it's being immersed in the water. Other New Testament passages also show that. We read in Mark, where people were baptized, it was in the River Jordan. It wasn't around or beside River Jordan. Where Jesus himself got baptized, he came up out of water. Um, so again, some of the reasons for us to believe that. Um, John the Baptist was baptizing in a place where there was plenty of water. You wouldn't need plenty of water if you're baptizing close to the river. But plenty of water helps. And I've been uh, tempted when I've baptized a couple of people to really keep them under that plenty of water for a bit longer. So, What's our response to baptism? How do we respond to it? If you were baptized as an infant and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you feel challenged to get baptized, a believer's bapt baptism? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe in him as your Lord and Savior and you walk with him and you haven't been baptized because you think, well, it's not necessary. Yes, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but if, in the words of Terry Virgo, baptism is important and necessary if you take the Bible seriously. So, if you believe in Jesus, then baptism is for you if you haven't been baptized already. Baptism follows repentance. Repent, believe, and be baptized. If you're not a believer in here this morning, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I want to encourage you to think of what was said right from the beginning, not when we started the preach, but right from the beginning as we started singing songs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who gave his life for you. He is the one who loves you like no other person on this earth. And he is the one who is faithful and will remain faithful. If you don't know him, then don't today just pass by like any other day. Your eternity depends on it. Your eternity depends on where you stand with Jesus Christ and how you view him and your relationship with him. So if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, speak to him and ask him. 
I told you the story of Belkis Sheikh. She was encouraged by some Christians who were her servants to, to ask Jesus himself because he's alive. Ask him to reveal himself. And that's what I want to encourage you today. Ask him and he will reveal himself to you. And then baptism is the next step. Let us stand. I'm not going to ask the, the, the band to come up. Let's just stand together and we're going to pray together and we're going to enjoy fellowship with cups of tea and coffee. And as you dunk your biscuits into the cups of tea, remember the word baptism. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your church. We thank you that you are building your church. We thank you that the fact that we believe in you and we are saved is nothing of our doing but what you have done for us. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your grace that is in abundance available to us. I pray, Lord, for all of us here today that as we think about our journey with you, as we reflect on your goodness, Lord, that we would continue walking with you hand in hand, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself not only to those who don't know you yet, but in new ways you would reveal yourself to your people, Lord. We thank you for the traditions that you've given us, Lord, that they all point to you. It's not about doing it um, for our good, but for your glory. So as we think about baptisms, Lord, as those who've not been baptized are considering it, Lord, as we break bread, Lord, in our homes and as we break bread together here at church, I pray that you'd be glorified in all we do, in everything that we do and we say. Be glorified. And as we have fellowship with one another to, uh, together, Lord, this, uh, this afternoon, Lord, I pray that your spirit would lead us and direct us, that you pour out your spirit on all of us. And I pray for your peace that passes all understandings to rest on us. We thank you for your blessings and we pray that you'd be honored amongst your people. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.